You're listening to God and Comics, the very last thing on the internet not to have Bernie Sanders mittens on it. On today's show, truth. What do comics tell us about what's true and what's not? At a time when many people are having trouble discerning reality from falsehood, how does the vision of truth we encounter in comics bring us closer to reality or push us farther away from it? We'll talk about all this, plus our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am the chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I am at Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. Okay, good to see you guys. Uh, so this is the first time in a while we've been we've been gone um, for a number of reasons. Uh, not the least being that my family and I had a, a bout with COVID uh, in November that kind of knocked us off track for a while. Now we're we're okay. My family's okay. We're we're fine now. But but it was. Uh, it was not fun, and it sort of pushed everything uh, off the table that wasn't immediately essential. Um, and so we haven't been able to do a God in Comics since then. But here we are, second half of season six, ready to go strong. Uh, and you guys are still, you're good, you're healthy, your families are healthy. Yep, doing well. Good. Yeah, we're, we're hanging in there. All right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, get into our recommendation and see what happens. So take it away, Father Matt. So I've been really enjoying um, P. Craig Russell's uh, wonderful uh, adaptation of um, Neil Gaiman's treatment of Norse mythology, and uh, I picked up the first uh, issue of that and, and, and really loved it. But that's not actually what uh, I, I want to recommend. That this is just sort of a sneaky way of getting a bonus recommendation. And um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that um, first issue so much that I, I was craving more, and I didn't want to wait for the second issue to come out. So I picked up Russell's P. Craig Russell's wonderful adaptation of Rich's Ring Cycle. Um, which is called the Ring of Nibelung, and, and this is—it's also kind of like Norse mythology. If you're uh, at all familiar with Richard Wagner and his his famous Ring Cycle, it's an opera. It's like 15 hours long. <laughs> it's it's an epic piece of um, um, musical drama. And it's, it's very well known. Um, so, like, um, even if you're not, like, an opera person or a classical music person, you probably know this one because um, you've, uh, you've seen uh, Apocalypse Now and uh, you heard the, the Ride of the Valkyries, you know, in that, uh, that scene. Or um, you've watched Looney Tunes. I was going to say Bugs you know Bunny. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. You know the classic spoof of uh, Bugs Bunny, uh, you know, spoofing um, Wagner would kill the wabbit. Um, Bugs Bunny is Brunhilde, and he's all, you know, in drag like he tends to be. 
Um, so uh, this this is a, a bit more of a reverent uh, uh, adaptation of, of, of Wagner's Spring Cycle. It's collected in one volume. I, I think it was it was originally serialized, but it, it's available in one volume, and um, it's it's all done by P. Craig Russell, who um, who um, is perhaps most well known for his work on the Sandman with uh, with Neil Gaiman, and it's just the artwork is just outstanding. It's just a lush gorgeously illustrated book extremely ambitious in in its scope like like Wagner's cycle itself the story is is really complicated and so I, I won't try to summarize it completely um, so it sort of starts off with this dwarf Alberic and um, he's being taunted by the Rhine maidens. Um, who are like these alluring uh, mermaids, and and uh, and he discovers their gold. But the only way that he can possess the gold is if he renounces love. Who would ever do that? Oh, well, Alberic would. He, his his lust for the gold is so intense that he renounces love to obtain this gold, and he forges the gold into a ring. A single ring that contains all the um, rune magic, all the power uh, that's in the Rhine gold. It's the power to really to rule uh, the world. It probably will will sound somewhat reminiscent of uh, Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings, which I think you know Wagner's cycle and and, and probably more likely the the um, the source material for Wagner's cycle is was an influence on, on, on the Lord of the Rings. Alberic has this ring, uh, you know, this powerful ring, and everybody wants it, not least of which is Wotan, um, who's the chief of the gods. Wotan is, 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 is sort of Odin, um, as he's sometimes called, and he wants the ring, and he steals it from Alberic, under the guidance of Loge, the god of fire, who's, who's kind of like Loki. And he uses it to pay the giants who built Valhalla, the home of the gods. And it was either that or, or give his daughter Freya, and nobody wants the giants to have Freya, so he gives them the, the ring. But the, the thing is that um, when the ring was stolen from Alberic, he cursed, he he pronounced a curse on the ring so that everyone who doesn't possess the ring will covet it but everyone who possesses the ring will be consumed by the fear of losing it the giants have the ring and you know one giant kills the other giant and and Votan's trying to get back the ring and and so this is sort of unleashes the whole epic storyline of the Ring of Nibelung, and it's 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 one with all which spans you know all kinds of worlds, all kinds of characters, the Valkyrie, the giants, the gods, the you know mighty men of, of, of renown. It's it's sort of um, it's sort of Game of Thrones esque in that like you know all of these characters, all even the gods have feet of clay, 
and and their their motives are entirely virtuous. It's 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 got the epic scope of of Tolkien, of course, and there are a lot of similarities there, not least of which is the Ring. So it, it's it's a fantastic story, one that has been uh, influential in, in in the history of uh, Western civilization. It's it's got four parts basically. So there's the first part's the Rhinegold, the second part's the Valkyrie. Third is Siegfried, and the final is the Twilight of the Gods. And so th- this is an epic comic book, to say the least. I loved it. It made me go back and want to uh, listen to uh, Wagner's original work. Probably not something that I would have sought out or paid much attention to uh, apart from that. I mean, I, I have an interest in, in, in mythology and everything like that, and and Wagner's always been kind of like somebody I've, I've heard about and been interested in. I mean, the opera's in German, and it's 15 hours long. Um, and I haven't really been to the opera very much. <laughs> this really uh, turned me on to, to Wagner's music, more so than, than my kind of, you know, loose familiarity before. And it's, it's a brilliant way of, of, of taking a masterpiece from... You know, one art form, uh, opera, and and turn it into completely different, a comic book, a graphic novel. I mean, we see that a lot with, you know, novels to film or video games to film or or comic book to video game or something like that. But opera to comic book, this was sort of a new concept for me, and it really works very well. P. Craig Russell has produced something very special with this uh, The Ring of Nibelung. So check that out. Um, treat yourself. It's really a, a, a wonderful book. Who's the publisher of that? I think it's Dark Horse. Dark Horse did it? Yeah. And you said it's four volumes? Um, or four stories? No, no. It, it, you, could, you could buy it in, in one volume. The, the Ring Cycle itself Wagner's ring cycle has four parts, parts. to it. Um, but, I mean, it was originally serialized, um, and, and I think it did come out in, like, four cycles. Mm-hmm. Not entirely sure. Um, I've seen some of the covers, you know, say, Rheingold, the first part, Siegfried, Gotter, Damerung, the Twilight of the Gods. So, um, but I read it in, in one volume, and it's actually, it's up on... Um, Hoopla, the library app, if you have that. I read it for free on there. But I, I might invest in buying a hard copy of it because that's how much I liked it. Cool. Okay. Great. Thank you for that recommendation. Well, we're going to move into our main conversation, which is about truth. And we're going to talk a little bit about really how the concept of tr- of what is true and what is not, of what is, of what is real and what is... Uh, false, um, how we see that playing out in comics, and uh, and how that might affect how we even think about that concept. Um, but maybe to start with, just a little bit of thinking about the concept of truth itself, which is something that seems increasingly elusive uh, in our society. And what's fascinating to me is watching the way in which the the interest in uh, what is true and what is not 
seems to grow depending on like what side of an argument you're on and yet everybody is sort of you know I don't know that any of us completely escape the relativism of the age that we live in um, and I you know I, I hear it uh, coming up on all sides certainly on all sides of political arguments just this this kind of back and forth of whoever is uh, on top uh, well they don't they don't believe in the truth but we believe in the truth and uh, and then you know and then it sort of flips around uh, periodically um, so let's start by asking uh, Pilate's question what is truth well what is truth well I mean I think the truth was there in the presence of Pilate when he asked that question I mean I, I think for Christians you know we want to always begin and end with with Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the way the truth in the life. So, so um, all truth finds its, its origin and its destination in Christ. Um, but, but what is truth? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that's the, that's my pious answer, right? Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, is it, is it a cop out to say, well, the truth is, the truth i mean it's what's it's what's real right it's mm -hmm. um it's it's what um is the opposite of falsehood <laughs> <laughs> that's a good apophatic help, answer help me out here kyle well, what is it, the truth no it's funny that you say that though because if you look up the word truth in the dictionary and i have it here from the oxford dictionary it says the quality or state of being true that okay. which is true or in accordance with fact or reality, a fact or belief that is accepted as true. So pretty much in all of those, they <laughs> use the word true as part of the definition of what truth is. But that begs a deeper question of what is true, right? Mm -hmm. What is um, the closest we get here is the idea of something that is in accordance with fact or reality, mm -hmm. uh, you know, down at the bare essence of of things what is true is what is actually real scientifically we may we define that kind of thing as what is what can be observed um you know that's kind of a more scientific take on what truth is uh it's something that can be measured and observed in some way um but it is a tough thing to answer what is mm -hmm. the truth it's a you know it, in a way it's a i mean it's a philosophical question, right? Um, because when we're talking about truth, and, and I, I get why it's sort of hard to pin down, uh, but I think it's important for us to have some, some category distinctions about it. Because if we don't, that's when I think we get sucked out into the whirlwind of my truth versus your truth and my source Absolutely. of information versus your source of information and then and then the whole thing kind of gets lost yeah. um so you know um i mean i i think as a sort of shorthand definition saying that uh truth is that which accords with reality uh is not bad um i would want to add to it i'd want to add to it a layer of perhaps a layer of the ancient Greeks, which then gets picked up in, in mm -hmm. Christian theology, and say that what is true is also 
what is good, that there is a relationship between yeah. the true and the good. Um, and not to say that those concepts are exactly the same thing, but that they do kind of run parallel to each other so that if you are able to understand what is true, that will start to lead you towards what is good. And that the more real something is, the more good it becomes. And so I think a little bit of like C.S. Lewis is the great divorce, for instance, uh, which is still my, my favorite, certainly my favorite Lewis book. And, and usually I, I, I say it's my favorite novel as well. Um, have you guys read The Great Divorce? Oh, yeah, I just oh, read it last year. Yeah, it's yeah, so again. good, right? And, uh, but, you know, there's mm -hmm. the, the, the whole, so if you haven't read The Great Divorce, go out and read The Great Divorce. But um, it's the, the, the central concept of it is that you've got a group of people who are in hell, essentially, who get to go on holiday to heaven and see what that's like. But they don't quite understand that where they've been has been hell or that where they've arrived is heaven. And so they're sort of like on the outskirts of heaven trying to figure out what they're supposed to do next. And then all of these people from the center, and you never see the center where God is, but all of these people from the center come out to try to basically convince the, the people from hell that they should, they should come into the center. What's interesting is when they first arrive there, it's, you know, he paints this picture of a, of an, of a, a kind of, um, just kind of a nature scene. It's not, you know, particularly uh, one way or the other in, in that respect. There's grass and there's water and there's, you know, all those kinds of things. But he describes it for the people who are coming out of hell as being just really hard. Like the grass is like hard against their feet and the, the air feels oppressive against their skin and so forth. And the, the reasoning for that is because they're suddenly in a place that's more real than they've ever been before. Yeah. And they can't like, they can't quite take that reality in. So that would be like one piece is I would want to say that truth is, truth is what's, that there's a relationship between truth and goodness. I would also want to, to say there's a relationship between truth and reason the truth is the way that we experience truth as human beings is through our reason. You can have a bunch of disparate things that get presented to you and you have to somehow in your brain, you have to, to find the pattern that links them together uh, in order for it, in order for you to experience the truth of it, right? So if you guys didn't understand the English language and I'm just sitting here speaking, this would just be indecipherable gibberish to you. It'd be like all of these different sounds that you wouldn't know how to connect to each other. But because you do know the English language, you understand how the sounds connect. And so in your brain, you can put that together and get the reality of what it is I'm saying. Or you know, another way of, of looking at it would be like, like a number pattern. You know, if I wrote a series of numbers out and I went, you know, two, four, six, and, and so, okay, what's the next one? And you'd say eight, right? 
uh, well, how did you get to eight? Well, you looked at it and went, okay, this is how two connects to four, how four connects to six, right? But this is what we do all the time. This is what we do with everything as we walk through the world. We, you know, there's all kinds of stimulus. There's all kinds of things that we experience that we take in and then through our reason we figure out what the truth is and the truth is whatever the relationship is between these things which works out yeah. great up to the point that our reason functions properly <laughs> and fails yeah. miserably yeah. at the moment when our reason doesn't work properly right either because we don't have all the information we need or because through some other means, our reason has been impaired through our, you know, mental illness, through sin, mm -hmm. through, you know, what have yeah, you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think our default in modern Western cultures, like the ones that we live in, is, um, you know, e even if we're Christians, you know, I, I think that the default is to sort of have this kind of materialistic understanding of things. And to think that, like, well, um, what is truth? Well, I mean, where we want to go to immediately is to the physical, verifiable kind of scientific facts. And those things are absolutely true. Um, not trying to cast doubt on that or, um, or poo-poo that at all, because, I mean, that's a powerful way of discerning things that are true. I think the problem is that sometimes um, if we reduce truth to that level, like empirical, observable things, we actually miss out on a huge amount of what's true. So like we have like we have truths like if uh, if I throw a baseball at a window at a certain velocity, the window will break. That's an observable scientific fact. But now we have this like kind of like bifurcation of, well, we have those things which are like brute facts. And then we have these other things called values. Your values can be different than my values, you know? And those are just um, subjective valuations that we have, like, uh, comic books are really important to me, but they may not be important for you. Um, but th th this gets into the, that kind of tricky area where it's like, um, because there's also, I think, an objective world of truth that we can perceive with our intellect. And I think that that, that world, it, it's not physical, but it's real. It's, it's 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 spiritual. So there are, there are spiritual truths that that we um, understand um, and that we can contemplate through our reason that are just as real, just as true as that baseball or that glass. Um, but we we perceive them with the intellect rather than with the senses. I, I think we have to sort of say that there's a. Um, you know, a, a real world of, of, you know, like, like Plato would say, like of forms um, that, that can be, um, you know, understood or perceived with the, with the intellect, that those things are real too. I thought um, I smelled some Platonism coming That they're on. not just, 
they're not just, um, you know, like our morality exists not just in our own hearts. You know, it's somehow a real thing that we understand and that we intuit from wherever that is, you know, Mm -hmm. from the true, then the good. Well, yeah, we're getting in deep water here. Yeah, we are. (laughs) We are. But here's here's, I think, a fundamental question, though. And I'm coming at this, obviously, um, from a very Lutheran perspective. Uh, So this may be slightly different than where you guys are coming from on this. But the one question that, that Martin Luther always would ask about this when talking about ultimate truth is do is ultimate truth top down or bottom up? Mm. Is it something we can reason our way to? And Luther would say no. And I would say no. I would stand with him on that, that I don't think we can reason our way up to the truth. The truth has to be given from on high, from God down to us. Does our reason comprehend that truth in ways when it comes down to us? Yes. Um, but there are also things that that because they're grasped by faith may not make sense to our reason right now. They may be things that that we don't fully comprehend and fully understand. So sure. so I think that gets back to your earlier point, though, Matt, with ultimate truth being Jesus Christ. Right. That's. You know, the answer to Pilate's question, what is truth, is is the man who's standing right in front of him. He is truth. Um, and what he speaks to us and what he says to us is truth. Um, our reason, as I said, grasps some of that. But we could never reason our way up to Jesus. We could never reason our way up to God um, because of what you said, Jonathan, which is that our reason is broken um, And that's true for all of us if we believe in original sin, that our reason has some defect or flaw in it, Um, some of us worse than others. And I'll probably take the worst category. But um, but, you know, definitely some things are broken in us and we can't make our way up there. So I see truth as something that's given, which then influences how we understand our values and our morality because these things are given to us as well. Um, I thought, Matt, you made a very helpful distinction when you said that the things that we embrace and hold on to values, because I think this is a, a linguistic mistake people make a lot today. They talk about my truth. This is my truth, right? Everybody's got their own truth. That comes from that bottom up reasoning. I can just reason my way up to a truth and I arrive at it and this is my truth and you can't say that anything's different. When I think a lot of times what people are ultimately trying to say in that is these are my values. These are the things that I embrace and I believe to be true. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why I believe these things to be true. Um, But they're not truths, they're values. And I think that's perhaps a dis- an important distinction to draw. Mm-hmm. It's the subjective versus the objective truth, which is the fundamental um, difficulty in our society right now. The, the the sticky point, you know, what's got us all tangled up. They're not truths; they're values. I- I'm not sure about that. I-, I would say our values can be more or less true. You know, just because we value something doesn't make it good. Doesn't make it true. You know, my values can be, uh, you know, quite disordered. Sure. Um, you know, if, if I put money before family, you know, I have disordered values. It, it, you know, if I put, um, 
you know, reputation before integrity. I have disordered values, you know. Um, there's a hierarchy of, of loves, you know, and, and, and the top of that should be God. You know, and, and if we put anything else before God, that's that, that's idolatry. So I think our, our 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 values are not just arbitrary things, but they right. should they should correspond to the real order of things. So 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 yeah, I mean, um, we need revelation, right? Mm -hmm. We we need we need the light that comes from above, but. Um, the light that illumines everyone who comes into the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's Christ. Um, and it's the light that shines in every heart and therefore makes us accountable to the true. We know what is good. We know what is wrong and we're accountable to do it. We know what's, what's good. Um, we deceive ourselves um, by rationalizing our, our, our behavior, um, that we, we fall short of what we know to be good. But I, I think if, if, if we don't have, in, in some sense, uh, a perception of, 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 the, of, of the truth, if the truth isn't in some sense imprinted on our hearts, um, then we can't really be a, accountable to it. And, and, and everybody does have... Uh, a witness to the truth in themselves, um, you know, right. Christian or not, uh, good or bad. Um, we, we, we have some sort of witness to, to what's true and we're accountable to live according to it. Right. Which Romans chapter one, but it, right. it's the law that's written in every human heart. Right. I mean, right. that's, that's the fact, but that's been a given, right? That's, that's the top down. God has done that work of planting that truth what is expected of us yeah. into this world. Yeah, because truth comes mm -hmm. from God. I mean, like everything comes mm -hmm. from God. Um, you know, truth isn't something that we construct from the bottom up. Right. It's yeah. something that we have to come under, you know, that, that, that's from, from, from above or from God. Something that we, um, something that know, we and, discover and, and, but sometimes rather I than think, inventing, right? What was that? It's something that we discover rather you, than you, you in, kind of inventing. Yeah, it's something right. we discover. Like, you know, like Socrates went about this. You know, he's like, you know. And he's like, I'm going to walk you through these questions and, and, and help you to remember. Because you know the truth. It's just obscured with all your irrationality. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the, so we could kind of, um, you know, uncover that. We could kind of remember that. Um, and because, you know, we all come from God. And, and I would want to expand a little bit on that when we talk about when we talk about our reason and how our reason kind of moves us towards truth. And obviously, it you know, our reason unaided is not going to get us to ultimate truth. But um, I think right. I think, Father Matt, you you hit it on the head a little bit there uh, a little earlier when you were talking about. Um, the difference between um, propositional truth and other kinds of truth, right? That um, every truth is not, you know, ultimately every truth leads to the great truth, which is Christ. But every truth is not an intellectual truth, right? Like there's some things that we have to get at in, in, in other ways. Um, 
which is why, you know, the word, for instance, that sometimes gets translated in, in scripture as mind, uh, the noose, um, is mm -hmm. it's a little bit, it's not the greatest way to translate that, but we don't really have a good English way to translate that because what it's getting at is a sense of this sort of inner sense of um, reality that is fed by our interaction with God. But some of these things are things that like, you know, they're, they're so I mean, I used the C.S. Lewis example earlier because in some ways a story is, is sometimes better at getting at truth than, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. a math problem yep. is, right? Um, and it's not that, that the one is good and the other it's, is bad. It's just that there's, there's more going on than that, you know? Um, that truth can also be relational. Like um, when, when we, you know, tell our family members we love them, um, that's not something that somebody's gonna, gonna reason out of us. Um, that's a relational truth. Right. So, um, all of which is to say uh, that our fiction often does uh, kind of point us uh, to how it is that we think about some of these things, um, which brings us back to comics. <laughs> of course. Some of you listeners are Can thinking, just say one more would thing they before? ever have gotten there? And before the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say one thing before we jump into the comics? Just and, ruining and my perfect segue. Sure. Ultimately, but based <laughs> on what you just said there, Father Jonathan, the the, the reality is that um, the way that God hands truth down to us through the scriptures embraces all those different kinds of aspects that you're talking about, right? That there's story, there's poetry, there's history, there's wisdom literature, there's uh, there's relational language, all that stuff kind of builds to the truth, right? It all works in that direction. Just an interesting point to note. Well, so how does how do we see truth functioning in comics? Obviously, it's it's a large that's a large category. But do you guys have some thoughts about that? About ways in which you've seen the the concept of truth or the concept of what is real being explicated being played with um <laughs> living out in well, comics I, I think comic books i mean like all literature are, are, are you know all all stories that we tell you know um mythologies um you know are are, are a way of us narrating uh you know the truths of the world as we as we experience them and understand them um, now, comic books like mythology are fantastical, you know, um, but we tell these fantastical tales as a way of understanding ourselves and our world uh, in, in a deeper way. And I think that I think ultimately that's really what comic books are trying to do. Um Comic books sometimes get dumped on as just sort of escapism. So if we're talking about reality, sometimes people kind of like uh, denigrate comic books saying that, you know, like, well, what we want to do is encounter the real and, and comic books are just taking us farther from that. 
it's uh it's escapist it's like you don't want to think about life you don't want to think about like serious topics that matter so you read about like grown men and, and spandex and uh with capes and and fantastic powers and giant robots and monsters and it's just a way of avoiding reality now i think that our podcasts has gone a long way to show that that is, in fact, not the case. That comic books bring us close to the things that matter, to uh, to, to to ultimate truths. You know that we could make a comic book about a podcast about truth, about love, about friendship, about all these things that we've talked about on God and comics. Um, Comic books are a valid vehicle and indeed a, a very vivid vehicle for bringing us uh, up against truths that matter to our life. Um, you know, relational truths, spiritual truths, intellectual truths, um, all of that um, is, 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 can be found in these um, sort of colorful stories Um or, or, you know, let's face it, not all comic books are superhero stories either, folks. You know, gritty realism, too. Um, comic books have that range that, that, um, that all um, great art does for bringing us up uh, to an encounter with what's real, what's true, what's, what's good. Yeah, I think that's... That's well said. I, I think um, um, I think one of the things that comic books tend to do is they tend to um, to in a very real and true way show us the things that we struggle with and try to make sense of in life, the things that we truly wrestle with. Right. Um, I think if you look at a lot of the superhero stories, especially the ones that came out of the writing of you know, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and John, or Steve Ditko, um, the stuff that kind of came out of that early wave of Marvel comics, there was um, a recognition that human beings deal with all kinds of um, frailties and foibles and guilt. And, um, and we're trying to make sense of that, right? It's a true fact we've, we struggle with it. It's a true fact we wrestle with it. So what do we do with this, right? And I think comics have tried to make sense of that along the way. Um, that has obviously grown into more, in, in modern times, that's grown into other areas where you have even characters like Batman and Superman who at one time seemed to be perfect people struggling with stuff but yeah i think i think that's that's a good good point to draw out yeah yeah i mean you know yeah our, our characters i think um and marvel comics went a long way in kind of establishing this are more multi-dimensional now mm -hmm. but um i mean even con even superheroes which you know here's where people see the escapism you know superheroes um, but even they, I mean, it, they tell grand stories about human truths on like these characters like the gods of, of, of old are archetypal. They, they have the ability to, um, to represent these big things to us um, in bold and colorful ways. Um, 
I think that's part of the attraction of of, of uh, superhero uh, stories to begin with. I mean, you know, yeah. So is that kind of uh, a, a cheaper way of of uh, truth telling than um, something maybe a little more subtle and complex, like uh, you know, a realistic novel? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but it's no less valuable as 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 a as a, as a uh, sort of instrument for exploring um, these real concepts of of guilt and heroism and sacrifice and um, and in some ways the um, in some ways dramatizes in sort of bold and iconic ways. Mm-hmm. I think the medium itself lends it lends itself to a certain type of exploration that isn't necessarily as easily accomplished in in other uh, storytelling mechanisms um, because it's the comic book lives somewhere between the novel and the movie and uh, and so you can especially if you're somebody who thinks outside of the box you know if you're like a Grant Morrison or somebody like that um, who's willing to really play with uh, the limits of the format uh, you can do some some interesting, crazy things um, that that point this stuff out in ways that you wouldn't have gotten at otherwise. One that I was thinking of uh, earlier that it, it it just had kind of popped into my my head earlier tonight, and I hadn't looked at this in a while. But there's a um, there is a, a Chelsea Kane book. Um, you may may remember Chelsea Kane from her um, run on Mockingbird. Uh, three or four years ago. But yeah. she, she did a book for uh, Image called Man Eaters. It's, uh, it's weird, I gotta tell you. <laughs> it's weird, and it's not always very comfortable <laughs> to read. Um, but, but, you know, in some ways that's the point. Like, it actually really shouldn't be comfortable to read. Um, but it's this story is about um, a version of the world in which um uh girls are infected by um uh, originally by i think i think originally by contact with cats but i think maybe that i might be reading that into it but basically they the 98 percent of the world's girls have been infected with this um virus that most of the time is fine and doesn't do anything but once they hit puberty and start having a menstrual cycle, it uh, transforms them from time to time into giant wild cats who will then go on the prowl through the town and rip people to shreds. (laughs) (laughs) And so the answer to that is to um, stop girls from ever having their periods, basically. Uh, and so they are all like mm. given these like horrible hormones and all this stuff to like stop this from happening, um, because otherwise boys and men will be ripped to shreds by these girls, right? So um, it's you can see. I mean, it's 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 the the illusions are not subtle. <laughs> um, but what is what is really fascinating about this in terms of like the storytelling device is she puts this together with the with the artists but interspersed throughout the whole thing is it's as if it's a magazine 
as if it's like Cat Fancy Magazine, except it's like about, you know, how dangerous girls are. And so there are all these ads um, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. Estro Clean, Estro the new anti-estrogen spray specially designed to protect what matters most, boys. And then there's a picture of like a like a man and a young boy just shouting or whatever. And it's it's but it's it's made to look exactly like an ad would in a comic book. <laughs> um, especially, you know, like in a in an earlier era of it. And so, like, this is something you couldn't, the satire that she's, that they're using here to create this book, um, it wouldn't come through in, if they wrote a novel about this premise, the way that it does visually in the comic book, and yet you couldn't do these gags if you had a movie of it. I mean, you could, but it would be very different, right? It would, you'd have to spoof TV yeah. commercials or something. Well, it's satirical, right? Oh, and, yeah. and I mean, I think that gets to something that's been a real sort of phenomena recently that's got a lot of attention is satire is intentionally deceptive. Um, it's sort of it's dishonest, but in a kind of wink, wink, dishonest kind of like way. Um, issue is now about fake, fake news <laughs> and, and, and misleading headlines and stuff. And, and so often it's it's um, satire. I mean, I, I think there's a real line sometimes between satire, which is like playful you know, deception, um, and then, you know, real kind of misinformation. Um, and where's the line there, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, be, be, between, um, you know, telling the truth and, 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 uh, truth telling through deception, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. And even in addition to that, I mean, in addition to the satire piece, I think sometimes there's just such a want for something to be true that it will get pushed as though it is true, even when it's not. And um, and can I do a little bit of a spoiler here? Because I'm not sure, Jonathan, I'm I'm almost sure you haven't seen this, but uh, this spoiling? is the key thing of Wonder Woman 1984. Okay, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Please don't spoil um, it for me. Please. I am begging you. Okay, I won't ruin it. But let okay. me just say that, let me just say broad sweep wise, I won't quote the quote um, that I had pulled up, but uh, but the broad sweep of it is is that tension between what we want to be true versus what is really true. Wonder Woman 1984 is like a perfect movie for this this episode tonight. Oh, absolutely. Um, but that's um, the tension, right? Is the desire for something to be true versus what really is true. Yeah, comic books and, 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 and superhero comic books in particular kind of play with that wish fulfillment. Uh, you know, the adolescent power fantasy, you know, mm -hmm. we all want to, we all want to be Superman, right? We all, we all want to have incredible powers. And so the, it's, it's, we see in those characters, something that's real and true about ourselves, our desire for power or our desire to look amazing and to have six packs that show through a spandex suit you know, <laughs> I mean, all of that, right? It's 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 kind of wish fulfillment, right? 
Um, we see in that something I think that is true about ourselves that we desire, that we that we want. I I, I think comic books sometimes are overtly satirical, like the, like the Man Eater book that that uh, Jonathan talked about. But even when they're not overtly so, um, they sort of um, paint our human nature in kind of broad strokes in a way that um, that 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 we can read of as as as, as humorous or as um, satirical. Mm-hmm. You know, they they kind of play with these these psychological truths about about us too. One of the uh, repeating themes in superhero books in particular that's kind of a, a trope in comic books is of the secret identity you know the dual identity um and i i think that it's just it, it that's a truth about human nature that we have divided identities you know we have our persona and then we have who we are on the inside is clark kent the real me or is superman um, which is mm-hmm. which is the persona and which is the truth? Well, he's both, right? Um, and and and, and the, I think that's a kind of that brings us close to like a psychological truth about about human nature. But I mean, it also relates to our topic in that, like here at the heart of superhero books, uh, so often is not only. Um, you know, wish fulfillment, desire like that, but, but, um, deception, you know, so many of these superheroes live like openly deceptive lives. And it's a major part of the, of the drama of the superhero story. You know, Peter Parker constantly has to lie to his aunt. He constantly has to lie to all his friends and uh, he has to make himself look weak and pathetic and like and cowardly often because he is hiding this truth about himself, right? I mean, and that's like that's it's not just Spider-Man. It's like it's like especially from a certain era. It's like every superhero story has this conceit at the heart of it. Like I'm hiding this truth about myself. What's that all about? I mean, yeah. Well, and and then you you see in um, in uh, what Bendis, Mike, Brian Michael Bendis, has done with Superman, where he has come out and told everybody, uh, "Hey, guess what? I am Clark Kent," which is and the interesting thing about that is there have been because obviously there have been a number of Superman stories where suddenly the whole world knows that he's Clark Kent, and then yeah. something happens, and it you know it's like comic book at the whole world gets amnesia and then and then we we go back right right um, he's always trying to keep mm-hmm. up this deception but but the thing is in most of the stories i've seen before where it comes out it always is sort of viewed as a problem um whereas bendis has really taken this different tack with it that i wasn't sure about at first um but i've kind of Uh, gotten into it at least as far into that as i've read he's trying to integrate the truth of his life so just like you said father matt he's got these two different lives 
that have been running parallel and that have created this kind of deception that isn't necessarily meant to be a deception, but that he felt like he had to keep up in order to keep these lives separate. And then he says, you know, I've just gotten to this place where I'm not sure that that it's fair to keep doing this. And so I want to um, bring them together. I think that while Bendis's run on Superman has not been perfect, there are things that I could criticize about it. One of the things that I like about it that I feel like he has gotten at and that a lot of modern Superman writers have not, with the exception maybe of, of Gene Luen Yang, is how important certain values, again, coming back to values, certain values are for Superman. And that that then translates into, or used to, I should say, translate into the wish fulfillment that we go through with it, right? Um, what's, what's important to Superman? Well, you know, what do we talk about with Superman? Truth, justice, and the American way. He's mm -hmm. the defender of truth, justice, and the American way. And notice that truth is the first thing on that list. And so now if I want to be like Superman, part of my wish fulfillment is that I'm going to be a hero who stands up for what's true, right? You see so much of that in the origins and the early life of a lot of these heroes. I mean, same thing to, in a different way, but the same similar sort of thing with Wonder Woman. What is her, you know, one of her great features that she's had since the beginning? That she has this magic lasso that when you put it on somebody, it makes them tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't yeah. have to do that because she always tells the truth. But if, you know, but other people, they have to be kind of brought along to seeing the truth, speaking the truth, etc. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could think of examples of this kind of thing with a lot of those early heroes. But I think a lot of that stuff got lost for a long time in the sort of like gritty blah, kind of version of these heroes that dominated a lot of the last 20 years, <laughs> 15 or 20 years, that uh, that we lost sight of the fact that one of the things that makes these characters admirable and worth emulating is that they fight for truth and that they, you know, and that we want to be like them in that we also want to fight for truth and stand up for what's true and look for and see what's true. I think I think the kind of the way our cultures evolved and stuff um, is that increasingly Superman and Wonder Woman back in the 40s, you know, had these big principles that they were defending truth, justice, the American way. Right. What's really important to people. Sure. I mean, justice is a big thing that's still important to people. But uh, um and will always be, hopefully, right? But, like, authenticity is something that we've come to value tremendously as as a culture. Being true to yourself. The dialogue in, in, in the Superman book where he reveals his identity is like, I have to live my truth. Um, now, what does he mean by that? Not that, like, you know, everybody has their own truth and you know this relativism thing i think it's about being 
authentic to who you are. You know, living your truth, it means um, being the whole you, being an individuated person that's like, you know, I'm not going to present to the world one face and then hide from the world another face, but I'm going to I'm going to be who I am, try to present one face all, all, all the time. I'm trying I'm going to be authentic. And that's that's the desire that that, um, you know, we see coming out and in, 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 uh, in Superman in these in these latest stories. It all starts like I mean, again, he has like this ridiculous charade where it's like someone took a picture of Superman kissing Lois Lane. <laughs> And it's all over the tabloids, and it's like, why are we hiding the truth? You know, I have to, like, my wife looks like an adulterer. Everybody's saying my wife is a bad person. She's cheating on Clark Kent with Superman. And, like, why are we hiding this? Why are we keeping this up? You know? And it kind of it makes him reflect, like, I'm not, like, life's too short to live a charade. You know, this is who I am. I'm Clark Kent. And I'm also Kal-El. I was born on another planet. Um, it's, it's kind of a powerful thing. And, I, I, you know, I, I think it's an important thing for us to be able to present our authentic self um, to the world and cast off the expectations of, you know, what other people think that we should be um, and do and say and feel. And, you know, because so much of of who we are is a persona. It's a deception. And we and we take away those parts of ourselves that might not be acceptable to the world. And we hide it away from them. And sometimes we hide it away from ourselves, too. And so, you know, here you have Superman, Clark Kent, you know, stepping out of the shadows and being his authentic person. Um, and and I, I think it makes sense for us today too, because, you know, we read those stories. It's like, come on, everyone would have known that he was Superman just because he put his glasses on. He's not fooling anybody. That seems so foolish to us today. And I thought the same thing. I, I, I recently rewatched the uh, Iron Man movie, um, the first Iron Man. And I loved how it ends, right? They have the whole thing like he has this rehearsed script that he was given to by S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, this is what you're going to say. You know, Iron Man is my bodyguard. You know, that's the story from the comic books. Tony Stark, for some reason, has to have a secret identity, right? Yeah. And Iron Man's his bodyguard. And they make a big joke of it. Does, does anybody believe this? You know, I, it was the perfect choice for today, you know, because Iron Man has this script that he's supposed to say about his secret identity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, who is Tony Stark really? You know, someone that arrogant, that much of a showboat, is <laughs> never going to hide the fact that he's Iron Man, right? And, you know, it, and I am Iron Man. And it makes so much more, right? Because what is the deception all about? But here's my question, though, Father Matt, like based on what you're saying, like I and I agree with you that like, especially the way that sort of Bendis d does this with with Superman, that there is this kind of it does feel like a moment of of authenticity. You know, I agree with you that there is this this kind of need for us to sort of 
find a way to integrate the parts of ourselves and, and present an authentic self to the world. But my question is, how do you know who your authentic self is? Because I feel like... The, That's harder. Because, yeah. Because, <laughs> and because the other thing, too, is that it also feels like we're at this cultural moment where the only kind of truth that is valued outside of the, the I guess I guess scientific truth is valued to to a certain degree but outside of that the only kind of truth that seems to be valued is a sort of internal truth of my own sense of myself my own identity my ability to express to the world who I am which is not I don't think that's a terrible thing. I, you know, I do think that, 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 especially for certain type, you know, for certain people, right? Like there are a lot of people for whom uh, pieces of themselves have, have always been held back. I think of um, uh, uh, survivors of abuse, for instance, who are yeah. able to kind of reintegrate that into their person. But, but I also worry a little bit about, you know, when we get just nothing but you know this is who i am and isn't it great like somewhere along the line we lose okay but how do you know well well yeah. it, no it, it it isn't it isn't always great you know sometimes it's this is who i am and it's not so great mm -hmm. you know and i'm not going to keep pretending that it is you know sure. um you know, I, I think there's two things here. I think, one, I think we have a, an obsession today with the unfettered freedom to determine for ourselves who we will be, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, like, we're, we're always in, um, we're always inventing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 you know, I get to say who I am. Um, now, I think that's kind of different from discovering who you are right mm -hmm. it comes sure. to, down to to what we talked about from the beginning is truth something that comes from above or is truth something that we construct from the bottom well like if we have this idea that that truth is something that we construct from the bottom then our self is also something that we construct from the bottom right um instead of something that we discover like how do you know? Well, I mean, it's it's a long process of discernment. Like, how do you discover what your vocation is? I mean, you, the three of us had to go through that long, arduous process of discernment to see if we each of us had a vocation to the priesthood. And it, it and, and and it's like, is God really calling me in this direction? And and it takes. Uh, being honest with yourself and examining the circumstances of your life and things like that. There's no shortcut um, to authenticity, but like I think each of us really has a purpose that that we need to discover. Uh, there's a reason why God made each of us. Um, I think that's a powerful idea. Uh, we could say, you know, we're left. You know. No, we're born into the void, and there is no reason except the ones that we make for ourselves. Um, and I don't think that is true. I think I think each of us has a meaning to our, our life that we're meant to be true to, um, and that you know, and that 
it's not necessarily going to be the same for everybody. Like my mom might want me to be a news anchor. She's always had that dream for me, but that's not who I am. <laughs> you know, I, that's not what I believe that God's calling me to do. You know, I believe that he's calling me to be, to be a priest. Um, and, and we, each of us has to discover that truth about ourselves for ourselves. Like, and, 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 and to live our truth, you know, um, like, like, like Bendis is Superman. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of trying to be this other person. I need to be who I am. And guess who I am? I'm Kal-El. I was born on Krypton. I landed on this planet in a spaceship. You know, the, the masquerade is through. The glasses are off and I'm just going to be me. I think that, and I think that's an important thing that, that, you know, that it takes us a lifetime to maybe to cast off all the expectations and stuff that other people have for us. But I, I think that's something we all need to do. Well, yeah, the last, last bit I'll add about that is that I, I think that when it comes to the question of identity, which is really what we're talking about at the root of this particular segment here, right, where our identity is found. Um, it does come back to the question of, is my identity something that I construct or is my identity something that is given to me? And in Christianity, we would always say that our identity is something that is given to us by God. And that identity is a baptized, forgiven child of God, right? That's our identity that's handed down to us. And we live into that truth that truth that is given to us. And that truth takes shape um, in terms of our vocation and our calling. Um, we do discern, I would rather use that word than discover perhaps, but we do discern what that call, that vocational call looks like over time. But nonetheless, our root identity is always a forgiven and baptized child of God, right? And there's no subjective aspect to that that's been declared on us in our baptisms and it's it's given that message of of sort of acceptance radical grace for that comes from god makes it possible for us to be honest mm -hmm. with Absolutely. ourselves right because you know if i didn't start from that place of being radically accepted by god in christ then i can't be honest with my my sins i have to i would have to come up with some sort of justification some sort of rationalization when we can't be honest about our sins it be we we start to put them in unconscious bag you know and we and put they, up masks yeah they, they, it, like the, those facts about ourselves become like um our, our shadow we project them onto other people mm -hmm. uh they and they they pull our strings from behind the scenes you know once i'm able to recognize those things as true and bring them into the light and confess them you know they no longer have the same you know overwhelming power over me that they might have had well and uh it it opens up the door for for us to to not have to construct something to cover up what we're ashamed of about ourselves and mm -hmm. and to not have to create a false meaning 
you mm -hmm. know and so and I think of that too in in you know in terms of like the ways in which um, what the world considers less than than ideal in fact can reveal a deeper truth and reality of what it means to be a human being made in the image and likeness of God right and so like mm -hmm. the the person in in poverty um, the person with uh, a disability um, you know all of all of these ways in which um, we might want to try to compensate for those things or look away from those things or get around them um, and yet it's right in the midst of those things when we can when we can see through eyes that have you know had the scales knocked off of them that that we start to actually see um, the presence of God and see the the deeper truth that's there. So I guess we had some things to say about this topic, but uh, I think at this point it would be, you know, this, there, obviously there is more that we could say. There is always more that we could say. We will have to do another episode on this at some point. Um, but for now, I think it is time for us to move on to our final segment where the real truth will be revealed, this or that. This or that, this or that. Come on everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man, this or that. Spider-Man or Superman, this or that. Boxes or briefs, this or that. DVD or VHS, this or that. Dungeons or Dragons, this and that. Moses or Elijah, this or that. This or that, this or that. Come on everybody. All right, the first this or that, it's funny, you, um, I think in our pre-show talk, you guys mentioned a couple of things I had written out for this or that, so <laughs> they're going to come back around. Oh, good. How ironic. Uh, first one will go to Father Matt. Dr. Strange or Dr. Fate? And I didn't write that at the last minute. That was one of the ones before. Uh, um, I'm going to say Dr. Strange. Now, Dr. Fate, uh, I always thought looked super cool. I love his colors. I love his cool yellow helmet. Um, but um, hasn't had the same kind of uh, coherent uh, writing and treatment throughout the years that um, that Doctor Strange has had. Doctor Strange, of course, has had some great writers uh, on the book. Stan Lee, of course, and recently mark wade who's been killing it i think with dr strange so i'm gonna say dr strange cool yeah dr fate has also gone through a lot of different uh persons being yeah. dr fate unlike dr strange right he's pretty much been consistent father jonathan yep this one is shang chi or iron fist shang chi who's shang chi the oh. mas master of kung fu from marvel's run back in the 70s and 80s. An obscure character, but one that's getting the Marvel cinematic treatment. That's right. Oh, He's really? Got a movie. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know Shang-Chi. Um, I guess I know Iron Fist. Um, so based on that, I would uh, say Shang-Chi. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. Okay. We, we shall see what Shang-Chi the movie is like. Yes, that's true. I may regret that decision once I actually know who he is. <laughs> that's right. But Taco Tuesday or Pizza Friday. Wow. Okay. Um, it's a hard choice. Um, but, you know, I think pizza has always been there for me, you know. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, I can't remember a time before I loved pizza. You know, where tacos, I feel like it's been like you know, you know, the, like I mean, they're they're an important part of who I am now. But like, I mean, I, pizza is an older friend, so I'm gonna say pizza. Okay, you speak your Can truth. You all right, on to Father Jonathan. Uh, Frank Miller or Alan Moore? Mm. Um, I would go with Alan Moore uh, out of those two. Um, obviously, you know, both uh, giants in terms of their contributions to comics. And I, I've always uh, gotten more out of Alan Moore. <laughs> that was yeah. an unintentional uh, pun. But, uh, you know, they both kind of have tendencies towards n nihilism uh but i feel like it it's it's it, in frank miller it's almost like just punches you in the gut with it uh sometimes uh and doesn't do much more um not always but that but i do sometimes have that feeling with some of his stuff um especially especially as he's gotten older i yeah. think uh yeah. Whereas Alan Moore, it's like, yeah, okay, he's he's kind of working on a nihilist note sometimes too. But but even even within that, there's there's always something that's a little quirky um, that does give me some sort of insight into um, humanity. Well, on to Father Matt, The Simpsons or Futurama? Ooh, <laughs> uh, The Simpsons. I mean, Futurama is you know funny um but i think i think you know out of those two shows the more enduring cultural icons are, are the simpsons although you know the simpsons should have ended like a long time ago it's yeah. not it's not been any good for a long time but i mean it just it it it, it perseveres because those characters are so you know, are, are, are such iconic characters that, you know, sort of like you, like the Flintstones, they'll always be around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. All right. Very last one goes to Father Jonathan. And this is another one that um, pulls us back to our earlier conversation. Uh, 2020 or any other year. <laughs> Uh, well, see, now you got to be careful with that because, as you guys know, 2021 is 2021. So, uh, it's, you know, it's a little, it's a little dangerous. And then you might think, well, that means it's okay once we get to 2022, except the problem with 2022 is that it's 2022. So... <laughs> I don't know, but I, I would I would say if we can somehow find our way into another year at some point, I would I would go with that. Okay. <laughs> you, you could always go back in time, you know. That's true. This would be the this is like the moment where I wish I've never in my life wished I was uh, Sam from from Quantum Leap. But suddenly the idea of just traveling within my own lifetime and, and righting wrongs feels a lot more appealing than continuing to live in the dystopian wasteland that is the present. But, uh, you know. Okay, well, uh, that's going to be our episode for today then. 
You can find out more about God and Comics by going to our website at godandcomics.com. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, you can also check out our, our, our feed through anchor.fm. God and Comics is available through a number of podcast platforms. And so we ask you to subscribe via your favorite platform. And wherever and whenever possible, please give us a review or a rating. It helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which you're hopefully banging your head to right now, is by Father Paul Wheatley who tried to reverse engineer the COVID vaccine so that it would give him superpowers. But ironically, it made him a super taster instead. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see ya.